This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. From the crisis in Japan to political unrest in Northern Africa, financial institutions the world over are faced with global economic upheaval and increasing risks of fraud that arguably are some of the most challenging they have simultaneously faced in decades. How are financial services providers and governmental bodies responding to these concerns? And what steps should banking institutions be taking to ensure they are adequately addressing current and future risks? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Paul Bulins, Head of Anti-Fraud and Compliance Initiatives for Eastnets, a banking and payments solutions provider in Belgium. Paul, let's start with a look at the crisis in Japan. We've noted over the last couple of weeks some of the emerging fraud schemes that we've seen prey on the sympathies of consumers and corporations, phishing schemes that aim to deceive would-be charitable donors into providing financial information appear to be abounding. What trends are you seeing and what steps, if any, are financial services providers taking to address some of these attacks? Well, um, indeed, we are seeing some uh, charity scams uh, going after donation money, uh, even using well-known social websites uh, to set up these uh, fraudulent activities. Um, indeed, the rising of phishing incidents are really targeting the Japanese population. And we see this increase coming from neighboring countries, from neighboring Asian countries uh, called China. Uh, it's scary to see that uh, even uh, they having such an uh, impact on, um, uh, well, let's say tragedies or um, big events, they still seem to be eminent in providing uh, phishing mails towards the Japanese uh, people. Um, well, steps, I think it's a joint effort. I don't see banks taking many initiatives, and the ISPs don't even take initiatives. They are lacking in taking down uh, known phishing scams, and uh, I think law enforcement for the time being has other uh, priorities in, in tackling these incidents than uh, going after this. So uh, I would urge the ISPs to, to be a bit of a better lookout at first uh, stage. And what about the ISPs? That's a good point that you note. Um, are financial institutions inclined to work with their information service providers at all to help some of this? Well, yes. And looking at the, the payment schemes, they both have uh, all a unit or a spe specific unit that takes care of, um, let's say, stop IT fraud, um, looking at uh, particularly large amounts of uh, card data, which is uh, being, uh, uh, well, being taken that way. Uh, but it's really hard to get uh, grips on the ISPs. They protect themselves, but yeah, that's a, a local issue. That's uh, nothing that payment card scheme should be involved with. More banks, um, they really, for them, it's, it's easy money. They don't uh, look at taking these sites down. Now, identity theft is another concern as fraudsters work to steal the identities of some of these missing persons in Japan. How are some of these identity theft schemes expected to impact the global market? Well, it will be important for financial institutions and anything related to money transfer to keep a close look on uh, on clients, specifically on patterns and behavior changes, and, and those typically coming from Japan, who suddenly become uh, very active with uh, national and international transactions. The reappearance of dormant accounts, newly opened accounts, and compared or going together with um, address changes, make it easy for, uh, for fraudsters to, to commit uh, cross-border fraud scams. 
And what about market fallout, Paul, related to the nuclear crisis in Japan? How might that fallout influence fraud trends in the U.S. and other parts of the world? Well, I think that uh, it, it's a bit it's a bit early to see what um, what it will give because you know it, it takes some time before we get a real picture on the, what the fraud thing is. But um, just looking at it, it's uh, not only the the phishing and charity scams or account takeovers, uh, false insurance claims, mortgage fraud, or, or just the ordinary wire transfer, but also just plain looting. Uh, I heard that um, Japan is even uh, a bit concerned about uh, the normal just plain looting of neighborhoods, and yes or no, organized by local organized criminal groups, in, in this case, uh, Yakuza. And from Japan, let's move into northern Africa. Institutions throughout the world are quickly learning the importance of knowing your customer. What KYC controls are you seeing implemented across Europe and the U.S. to combat money laundering fraud? Well, I do think that financial institutions should have different layers of uh, AML tools in place, uh, such as filtering, a little bit explaining that um, you want to know who you're dealing with. You want to know that these people are eventually not wanted or searched for in any other country or uh, a continent. Secondly, it would be nice to have a, a transactional pattern in-house to see sudden changes in patterns because I think that's one of the main important um, guidance points to see that uh, fraud will be increasing is to, to change in patterns and behaviors of the, of the clients. And on top of that, just put an extra layer of real-time day-to-day fraud which we see now increasing with, uh, with skimming. Um, you know, one thing that has come up quite often in recent discussions that I've had about AML solutions is that these AML solutions really should be integrated with your overall fraud detection systems, and that getting a cross-channel perspective is really the best way to not only pick up on fraud, but also to fight money laundering. You've also noted skimming. How do some of these other types of fraud tie in with money laundering and the AML efforts that financial institutions should put into place? Well, as I said, it's a, it's a combination of having an integrated uh, solution, of filtering, uh, profiling, and an anti-fraud layer on top of it in order to have a full picture of what is happening. It also will... Uh, raise the risk scores within the banks and to know who to do business with and who don't, who not to. So um, I think having a full integrated system will, uh, will be a big advantage. Now, I've been tying in a couple of you know very different international events. Of course, the natural disaster that's mm-hmm. led to many crises in Japan and then talking about some of the political unrest in Northern Africa. Could you give us a sense, Paul, of the growing level of international fraud the banking industry can expect to face in the wake of the crisis in Japan and the political unrest in Northern Africa? Well, definitely. Um, false insurance claims combined with identity theft and a mortgage fraud are those which will uh, rise significantly. Uh, it's a bit early to, to give you an estimation of what and how, but these are things that um, they will, anyway, take profit of people who are missing or um, um, you know, stolen identities they, they obtained in any which way. Um, I think that's um, our, our main uh, focus for the time being. And what about the political unrest in Northern Africa? How do you see that impacting some of the fraud schemes that financial well, institutions will have to face? Well, I think there will be a little bit different. I think uh, wiring money or trying to get money out of the country like what happened in uh, in Iraq when people um, had uh, were fleeing for uh, 
new regime down there is that we're taking money over the borders, buying real estate, and then selling the house and getting money, getting the money white. How they got the money wasn't that, but how they got the money sold was something else. So I think um, that'll be a different uh, picture than uh, what we see in Japan. There'll be a lot going on uh, on wire on wiring money. Right, and you raise an interesting point. We haven't talked a great deal about how mortgage fraud might might fit into some of these these initiatives as far as KYC is concerned. And so that's a good point that you raise, especially when it comes to some of the, the neighboring countries that may be affected by some of the crises that we see taking place in northern Africa. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I think Iraq was a fine example. If we look at how many uh, Iraqi people uh, fled into Jordan, for example, and they're uh, just coming in with, with cash they brought from somewhere. Nobody really had a clue where the money was coming from. The only... Uh, possibility for them to get this money, uh, let's say, white or laundered, was to buy real estate. They would then get a certificate from the state saying, look, uh, this house is mine. They would go to the bank and sell the house and get the, get the cash and start a new life. I think that's what we're seeing now in these uh, dictatorial regimes that uh, all across this, um, yeah, let's say, northern Africa, the Middle East, things like that will uh, definitely um, be the thing to follow up. Now, a year ago, we were talking about the impact cyber thieves out of Eastern Europe were having on the global financial market. Of course, today our discussions are quite different. Today we're talking about natural disasters and the fluid political conditions. What other types of global shifts should institutions be watching, Paul, as they prepare for new and emerging fraud schemes? You've noted skimming, but I'm wondering if there are others. Well, I think uh, skimming is still a very hot topic, and it's um, it's causing a lot of damage, not only in, in Europe, but uh, in certainly in places where or regulations or uh, people are not so familiar with, uh, let's say, chip and pin or uh, a regulation in place to combat it, um, we do see still huge amounts of money being uh, being taken that way. Um, and also, which now everybody has the possibility to do e-commerce, to use your phone, and um, a phone is still not a computer, so all the technical possibilities you can do the hacking into uh, e-commerce payment solutions will be a threat to follow up on. Well, what types of fraud should banks and credit unions be prepared to fight, especially when it comes to fraud that could seep through lax KYC controls? Well, the um, reactivating dormant accounts is a thing to follow. Um, you will see sudden increases of large or many different amounts going let's say going internationally, uh, followed up by sudden address changes, which um, all people, or this was not the normal behavior of people. So they will try by information gained somehow to, to use these for their own benefits. And that is something to follow up. Uh, definitely also ATMs are still very anonymous. There's um, half a million of them all around Europe, just to, to give an example. So it will be easy for them to, to cash money, uh, which they obtain that way. So it would be great to have the def defined rules in place to follow up on your ATMs, certainly for uh, big financial institutions. And before we close, Paul, what final thoughts would you like to leave our audience with where the topic of global fraud concerns come into play? Well, I think the, the main thing is certainly to know who you're paying and um, to be better uh, prevented than cured to see where your money is going to and to be able to, to check it, to have a, a possibility to, to look back onto something. Um, I think that's the main, uh, main part. I want to thank you again for your time this morning, Paul. Again, we've just heard from Paul Bulins of EastNets. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.
This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.